Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by NatureBox. It's 2017. Everybody wants to start the new year off eating right. But what do you do when you just have cabinets filled with junk food and maybe even sugar-coated cereal? You need to get yourself some NatureBox because NatureBox makes snacks that actually taste great and are better for you. Start snacking healthy with Nature Box because they have created great snacks with the high quality ingredients free from artificial colors, flavors, and sweeteners so you can feel great about snacking. My personal favorites are the pistachio power clusters and the dark cocoa nom noms. You can't go wrong. Nature Box has made their service even better. Now you can order as much as you want, as often as you want, without a minimum purchase required, and cancel anytime. It's simple. Go to naturebox.com. Check out the entire snack catalog that there are over 100 snacks to choose from and they're constantly adding delicious new snacks. Choose the ones you want and they deliver them right to your door. And with NatureBox, you never get bored. There's new snacks each month inspired by real customer feedback. If you try a snack you don't like, NatureBox will replace it for free. So right now, save even more. NatureBox is offering our listeners 50% off their first order when you go to naturebox.com slash podcast. That's naturebox.com slash podcast for 50% off the first order. Naturebox.com slash podcast. Seinfeld the Checks is over, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now here are the two guys who would never own a Farpman. I'm Rob Sisterno. Here's Akiba Winokur. Wheels, how are you? Ooh, we've thrown out of wheels. I haven't heard the wheels in a while. Yeah, I like to mix it up. I love it. Good. Good. I was going to call you uh, Desperado. Yeah, no, I, I realized this. I realized this week. I shouldn't uh, make fun of people's last names. <laughs> yeah. Why? Whose last name are you making fun of? Well, they had, you know, the, every time there's like, uh, you know, Deadspin or someone will post like the funniest, you know, like the all name team for the NCAA, mm-hmm. you, you know, so they had a, a lacrosse all name team, which is great because it's like a lot of like, you know, super fancy, uh, you know, like Northeastern kids with like really like snooty names. Okay. So I, uh, so I saw the list and it's a great list. And then it was like, ooh, uh, it, my favorite one was um, Griffin Woodfin Levine. Okay. And I, so, so I emailed, I, I, I tweeted the guy and I said, um, Griffin Woodfin Levine, the guy decides to be Jewish nine tenths of the way through his name. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and within five seconds, Griffin Woodfin Levine likes my tweet, even wow. though I didn't, I didn't add him and the other person didn't add him. So I don't know if he's just like has a permanent Twitter search for his name. I don't know if you could do that. Yeah. Okay. And he liked it. You know, he wasn't mad. But I realized like, oh, I can't make fun of people like, you know, my last name is Wienicker. I can't make fun of anybody's last name ever. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think we have to propagate like the wheel stuff. I feel like we have to push that harder. Okay. That really may be what's holding me back in life. Like if I had a, if I had a, like a more pal, like if, you know, at work, they were like, who should we promote? You know, a Dave Smith or Wienicker. And it's like, well, I got to write out the paperwork. I'm not writing Wieneker eight times. How about so a nickname? Pro- what do you think of <laughs> T-Bone? Uh, I mean, isn't Wheels isn't Wheels good enough, though? Like, if, it, <laughs> okay, if so it's Wheels or Dave Smith, T-Bone. yeah, yeah, I'm more memorable down. than Dave Smith. Yeah, I think <laughs> Wheels should should just be my full name. Yeah. Keith, we got a lot of email and tweets from people about locks and herring. Yes. Last week, I said on the podcast that 
uh, locks are, detect- are detestable. And um, <laughs> it was really one of my hottest takes. I didn't even realize people were very upset. They thought, like, how could you not like locks? How could you not like Simis, which is disgusting? <laughs> um, uh, what, el- what else don't I like? Herring, which you didn't yeah. know what that was, but but the people who knew what it was were upset. Cream cheese, which is gross. Yeah. Um, I didn't even, you know, get into olives or was any Was it on others. Twitter or was it the other podcast that uh, Chester called you out as not even being uh, really Jewish, that you don't like any of the food? I mean, th- th- like, that's such an old man thing. Like, I, you know, Chester's like a real man is in the back of a synagogue drinking whiskey. That's bullying. That's bullying. Yeah, yeah. But also I said, like, yeah, in 1917, in 2017, we're, you know, we're, we've moved past that. We don't have to eat the food. The re- you know, the reason they ate the foods that they ate back then <laughs> is because they were, like, living in literally, like, ghettos, and, they, and that was, like, the only food they had access to. Yeah. You know? It's like, Robot. we're past that now. <laughs> so let's, let's have, like, good food. And he's still stuck in... The old school mentality that like white fish is delicious when like you can't go within five feet of it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're ready to talk about this week's episode. The checks, sure. uh, a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of moving parts here for the checks. Uh, Keith, is this the first episode we've had that's written by three different writers? Steve O'Donnell, Gamble, and Pross all behind the helm on this one. I, I don't. Think that would be I the mean, director. Yeah. Well, I um, I don't think it is the only one because there's a lot of them where they have like the fishy titles where it's like story by this and yeah they give out they give out like eight different um things but usually it's like teleplay and story yeah or there was i think the fusilli fusilli jerry has like four or five Mm -hmm. uh the the race i see has like seven so but this is the only one that has written by yeah that has a triple this is also the final entry from gamel and pross yeah okay well, we're going to have a lot of callbacks here in this episode, and I feel like that that is the signature of a Gamble and Pross episode, I feel like, in our examination of Seinfeld to this point. Yeah, it, there's very few things we've actually taught the listener, but that's one good thing we've picked up on, that like Gamble and Pross are like, they actually watch the show, unlike some of the other writers, and <laughs> yeah. and like they are good at, there are tons of like very, some obscure, some very blatant, but like a lot of callbacks, and maybe also because it's their like a valedictory episode, like they're saying goodbye. They're trying to get in as many as possible. Okay. All right. So this is from November 7th, 1996. And we start off the episode again, back to just banter that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the plot. As Jerry is working out some new material for Elaine, even though he's saying that he's not, this is about indigestion medicine, which I guess was starting to emerge at this point. Yeah, it does feel a lot like uh, and again, it's so unconnected to the rest of the episode, right? It feels a lot like uh, he is doing a bit. It just happens to be on the sidewalk with Elaine instead of at a comedy club. Yeah. And so Elaine is like, this is a bit you're doing a bit right now. He's like, no, no, I'm just talking. And Elaine saying she's not in the mood. She knows the tone. This is a bit. So I actually like this more than if they were having this actual conversation that she's sort of calling him out on like, I know what you're doing. You're working on material. Stop doing it. Yeah. Another interesting thing uh, Johnny DeSilvera points out is that this was in the previous episode, The Fatigues. But I guess that episode was so jam packed, didn't have room for it. So they pushed it. But it was actually filmed for that episode. Not I don't think it's any more connected to that one than to this one. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any real tie-in in the indigestion. I mean, I guess if you stretch, you could talk about like how everyone got sick from eating the food, but that's not really indigestion. That's like swallowing bad meat, right? That's right. Um, so this, but they're just throwing this in at the beginning of this episode because they couldn't stick it in last one. See, that's interesting because in the notes about nothing for this episode that they claimed in the notes about nothing that there was a deleted line that Kramer had about why he thought that the Seinfeld TV show was going to work in Japan, that it was about time for a boring man to droll on and on about stuff like, could you pass me? And he throws out a name of one of these heartburn medications. Yeah, but when they're writing the episode or they're filming it, they already know that it's in this episode. Okay. You know it. what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was passed from last week, but like they're, that doesn't mean that they can't now reference the episode, the, the scene that's now in this episode. Yeah. Keeve, uh, Jerry calls this medication for the well, uh, and Elaine ends up giving him notes. She says to uh, move things around, move the medication to the well to the front, and hit the word good harder. I actually really like this dynamic between Jerry and Elaine. Like, I felt like that this would be the kind of thing that, like, a comedian, if he was dating Elaine and, and stayed friends with her, I feel like that these are the kinds of things and the, like, feedback notes that she would be able to give that would make him stay friends with her. Uh, yeah, this is one of the more realistic feeling scenes of the whole series. You're right. Yeah. Okay. And he's like, yeah, thanks. He's not like, okay, I'll take it from here, Don Rickles. You know, he's like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. Although, to be fair, do you think Jerry would take a, like a like a line, you know, critique from his wife about his stand-up act? <laughs> he respects the opinion of Elaine enough here. He doesn't give her a biting answer. Right. But I'm saying his, his real-life wife. Oh, is he- I get the sense that if if it, the note was right, I think that he would be able to like that. He's such a savant with this stuff that if somebody told him what the right answer was or what the right wording was, it doesn't matter who it came from. I think he would have said, you know what? I think you're onto something. Right. Or you know what? You're wrong. And here's why. Yeah. Keith, just 60 seconds, though, you know, gave Jerry a nice compliment uh, right there. The other day, I put on the B movie because it was on uh, one of the you know streaming subscription sites that we have a membership to, and I wanted to put on something animated for my kid to watch. I thought he would like the B movie. The B movie is god awful, terrible B movie. The last forty minutes of a kid's movie is a court case. Really, I've never seen it. Oh, I should it try is and get terrible. My, my kids, my kids have been home sick. I should have gotten them. And it was funny because I would be like, hey, guys, let's watch a movie. Uh, you know, I would suggest like good kids movies that I would also watch, like a Pixar movie. Let's watch like, yeah, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but the original one, you know, not the Johnny Depp one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and but then they would suggest a movie like, oh, I can't even be in the room for that. It's so boring. Like, let's watch like the parents trap with Lindsay Lohan. I'm out of the room. Right. Or or like, you know, they're binging full house. I'm not, I'm not sitting around for that. Your kids can get through the first half hour, but by the time they get to the court case, there is no little kid that could sit through that. I actually said to my wife this week, I think movies for kids are going to die soon because with sort of, you know, technology and everyone saying like, oh, it's, you know, everything is two minutes of this, two minutes of that. Anyone can sit through a TV show, certainly a 22 minute TV show. I, you know, Game of Thrones, like a slow episode that's 57 minutes could be a slog, but you could look at your phone. If you're a kid, you don't have a phone. Maybe you have an iPad, but like. It, an hour and a, an hour and a half movie, even if kids movies are like short, it's a big ask. Like every single movie my kids started this week, they did not finish. Yeah. But if they're watching Full House and it's 22 minutes, they'll get to the end. 
I don't know. I think this is kind of a cold take. I don't think that Disney is going anywhere. They keep banging out these animated movies. They're making a lot of money, Keith. I know, but I, I but I, is it for the like? That's why like Pixar movies like are for grownups also but because the parents have the money. The kid can't go on their own. You got to make something the parents going to sit through. Yeah, that's true. I just you know I I just can't see anyone sitting through like a ninety minute movie in ten years <laughs> from now. Well, look, I can barely do it, so I don't know. No, I not, neither can I. I have all these movies like piled up that I need to see and. <laughs> I think I'm just now going to like wait till 2018 and skip this year's movies. <laughs> All right. So we start off the episode. Elaine's at a party. She's talking to this guy, uh, one of the most unlikable characters in the eight years of Seinfeld to this point. Correct, Brett? They give him no reason. Like we at least sometimes it's like, oh, he's really good looking or he's really successful. Like, why would Elaine date this guy? They he do late wealthy. in the episode. He seems like he's wealthy, but he also seems like he claims he's wealthy. If yes. that makes sense. Yeah. And but in the late in the episode, Elaine, like they actually do answer this question would you know, give them props for that. Elaine says, like, I'm almost out of men in the whole city. Mm-hmm. So there's a reason like she explains, because like clearly there's no reason for us to like think that she needs to date this guy. Who but cares? He's if such they break a douche. Up? Uh, he's awful. Yes. OK, so Elaine is talking to him about furniture and uh, they talk about Carl Farbman. Carl Farbman makes uh, amazing furniture, apparently, and so that he does uh, these great dressers, which we will have, uh, and uh, people uh, have a Farbman couch. You got, how could you go through your whole life and not sit on a Farbman? And then we end up hearing the song Desperado by the band The Eagles, Keeve, and that is when Brett starts to look off into the distance that he is unresponsive once he starts to hear desperado yeah i don't know who thought of this like why i just i just don't i think like in the in the writer's room if there was a writer's room it's something that maybe sounds funny but i just think on paper i don't know i'm not so sure that it works and this is almost like the a story of the episode it'd be good to go back and watch this episode with the commentary on because i think that gamble and pros do the commentary but there's no inside look to go Mm -hmm. back so maybe they reveal where the genesis of this story comes from but I agree, Keith. Not only does this, you know, it's like sort of funny-ish. I mean, it's, I guess it's like, a, you know, whenever I hear this song, I think of Seinfeld. But there's no payoff whatsoever to the this guy, Brett, is obsessed with Desperado. Well, and, you know, we were talking a second ago about how unlikable he is. And it's not like the writers don't realize that. And maybe there is a payoff because... He gets killed because of Desperado at the end of the of the episode, right? The doctor gets transfixed by De- Desperado. No, no the longer doctor a- gets transfixed by witchy woman. By witchy woman, sorry, by witchy woman. And so, like this idea of like a song that is, you know, that is so amazing that like you can't you can't do anything during kills him because I think he dies at the end of this episode. Mm, I, I think, think they're making they're making him so unlikable. Like, no. so they can kill him at the end. We if won't he care. Died, another Susan. I think that Jerry gets charged with manslaughter. I mean, that Jerry hit him over the head with an axe, uh, which led to him having to go to the hospital. And if he dies in the ambulance, I think that Jerry Seinfeld is the person who's responsible for that murder. Yeah, but it, there's witnesses that or ear witnesses that there, it's an accident. Yeah. No pun intended. Accident. <laughs> uh keeve I-, I would love to know and this is something i was asking myself how much of the resume of the eagles are are you aware of like how, like do you know a lot of eagle songs do you know none i mean i know obviously everyone knows hotel california yeah i'm not the biggest classic rock guy um 
I think I heard like uh, Don Henley, if he's still alive, um, or one of the Eagles, like in a long interview with Chuck Klosterman, which was interesting a couple years ago. Yeah. But I, I, I actually think the Eagles think like I think they're really <laughs> overrated. They're not good at all. <laughs> I actually think that Chuck Klosterman thinks that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, I, there's Glenn Fry. There's Don Henley. And there's two other guys. But yeah. They, they're what's funny is uh, Witchy Women Desperado are the first two uh, on their Wikipedia page. But yeah, Hotel California, by far their biggest hit. Take and it easy. I, I, another big one. Uh, I think if you I think like Hotel California, like an iconic song, right? Everyone right. knows that song that's on any like, you know, Q104, like top, you know, thousand songs. It's like in the top 50 always. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think after that, it, they're they're overrated because of that one song. I, I just don't know if the whole catalog holds up. OK. All right, I just really curiosity of you know how familiar you were with the Eagles. I mean, I not curious enough to have such a take for sure. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. So really, Elaine is like she puts her like palm over her heart. It's like, oh my god, like this guy is like so deep that he's so mysterious. So she's walking with Elaine, and Jerry is like, oh, when do I meet this jerk? And Elaine's like, no, 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 no. He's sensitive. He likes the song Desperado, and he was so moved. I like when Jerry says to her, you're still dating him. You're the one who sounds a little desperado. Yeah, that doesn't even get a laugh from the audience. (laughs) I liked it. But we get to this subplot, Keeve, of the umbrella twirlers. And so apparently Jerry had a background as an umbrella salesman at some point in the early 80s. And he's uh, the best at twirling the umbrella. And he claims that he invented the umbrella twirl to me this seems very reminiscent of going back to with jerry and putty where jerry had a move he spots somebody doing his move and he's annoyed he doesn't want somebody else doing his move and in this case i think he just wants credit in the case of putty i think he wanted putty to stop doing his move right putty was more of a cease and desist right um it's also it's reminiscent and obviously this comes first but it's reminiscent of a Curb Your Enthusiasm a bit where Richard Lewis says, I invented the blank from hell. Right. Chester did this this week also. He claimed we were talking about like a, a dirty word kids used to say when we were in high school and Chester claimed he invented it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he unironically said, I invented that. And I said like, but I, I like I never knew you or knew anyone who knew you. And like I heard that, you know, it, got it, was, a, it was a it was a euphemism, not an actual dirty word. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's like, yeah, well, he was like trying to connect the dots that he actually. Can you say what the it. euphemism and is or is it it's too, too it's You know what it is? It's just not it's not even English and it's not it won't make any sense. So let's not even go down the road. If it was in English, would it make sense? No, I mean it's such a <laughs> it's such a lame brag for Chester to say I invented that, but you know, very fitting that he said that this week. All right, so Jerry uh, is telling the guy that he invented the twirl. The umbrella salesman says, no, 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 you didn't invent this. Uh, Teddy Padillac came up with the twirl. Uh, Yes, Jerry says he knows him, he worked with him, and uh, ultimately um, Jerry's like, no way, in his dreams, he didn't come up with that. I don't know why Jerry cares at all. Jerry is a big comedian. He's been on The Tonight Show. His career is going really well. Why in the world does he care about this, Keith? I mean, they're just stubborn. You know, the, the like Jerry, George, these guys, they just, you know, they're obsessed with being right. Uh, and I, I also like the idea that like G- that Jerry and Timmy Padillac would just randomly, you know, of course, like every umbrella salesman in the city, as if that's even a thing. Small town. As opposed to, 
Yeah, like just knows each other. It's of course it's Manhattan, forty sixth and sixth, like Times Square, whatever. Yeah, of course everyone knows each other. <laughs> okay, so back in Jerry's apartment, and Jerry is now twirling an umbrella around. Uh, he says it's the twirling that dazzles the eye. And again, George says, uh, yeah, I find it disorienting. I don't know why Jerry is spinning the umbrella so fast after he told the guy that he's spinning the umbrella too fast. It's disorienting. Maybe it's just like they needed to have him do it for George to say this line. He's rusty. Yeah. And George says, who buys an umbrella anyway? You just get them for free in the metal can at the coffee shop. How in the world does George not know those are other people's umbrellas? I could understand if this was a Kramer line. That feels very weird to me as a George line. I, it's funny, though. I hear what you're saying. Like, the, every time I see them, I'm like, what? Does he really think that? And then, like, they, you know, they address it right away. I, I don't know. I think it's a good joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, George can be dumb, too. It's a good joke, but it's a Kramer joke. Yeah, it is a Kramer joke. That's true. All right. So here comes Kramer. He's bringing in a bunch of checks. And uh, here you go, Jerry. Uh, this is for apparently Jerry was in a one second clip on the super terrific happy hour. Each one is worth 12 cents. Keith, is this how royalties work? A little bit. I, th- I mean, I don't know if you get for every clip, but there's I've def- you know, there's definitely like, uh, you know, anytime some like NFL guy is in is in like the longest yard, they always tweet like sure. 87 cents in a movie. I get mm-hmm. that. Sure, they're going to rerun a movie, but if you were like, if there's like a one second clip of you that's used in the opening credits of a comedy show, you got to pay royalties for that every time that the opening Mm. sequence airs. I mean, I don't know Japanese entertainment law, so I can't answer your question. (laughs) I thought you did. Uh, I'm sure Chester would claim to be a big big expert. Yes, if he can get to the bottom of that, that would be greatly appreciated. So he has this whole stack of checks. Uh, there's a funny moment where Kramer sits on the umbrella. Uh, you know, just a really good job by Michael Richards there. Uh, yeah, they, right. And, and it's also like they sneakily like leave it there. So you don't even realize like it's you're not anticipating him sitting on it. Yeah. OK, so Kramer is going to be getting this big chest of drawers, from, <laughs> the big Chester of drawers from uh, Elaine's boyfriend, Brett. And so he's very excited to be getting a Farbman. Yeah, I, I, I do like where Jerry's like, you know, who, you know, the, she calls like, oh, all Elaine's ex-boyfriends or all Elaine's boyfriends are losers. Yeah. And so George reminds him, hey, you're on that list. Uh, yeah. And he has a good reaction where he's like, uh, you know, he, he doesn't respond. He's like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, that should sort of be like uh, a message to him. Like, I am one of these losers. <laughs> yeah. So we find out that George is going to get his carpet cleaned for twenty five dollars. And Kramer immediately knows Oh, oh, is that from the Sunshine Carpet Cleaners? That's a cult. They come in and they do a cheap cleaning and then they pitch you on the cult, Keith. Do you think it's more of a Kramer thing to like accept the cult or deal with the cult than George? No, I think that's fine. I mean, I think that this is all really funny to me, that the whole part about how there's a cult and they don't ask George to be in it and he gets upset about this. I, I mean, I think that's all great. Yeah, no, it is funny for sure. Yeah, it is a very funny turn. So we end up then with Kramer and Jerry walking on the street, and we see that Kramer runs into a bunch of Japanese tourists who are asking him to take a picture with a camera. Yeah, what do you think about the Japanese tourists? I think it's funny. Um, I think it's maybe too much with the Japanese tourists here in this episode that I, I mean, I think that they're good in small doses. I think we get too much of them here. I agree. I, I don't they, they didn't 
there was nothing interesting about any one of them in particular. Like, I couldn't tell you their, you know, like what their names were or anything. They didn't really like, you know, they were just a group of three. Mm-hmm. And right, I agree. I, I think like the idea of them is funnier than, you know, them being in six different scenes. Yeah. So that Jerry sees another umbrella salesman and he needs to go now ask him about who invented the twirl. Like any umbrella salesman is going to know who invented uh, twirling the umbrella around in that industry. And Jerry gets into like a really heated conversation with him. And Kramer is pointing to Jerry and showing the Japanese tourists like, oh, don't you recognize that's the Jerry Seinfeld from Super Terrific Happy Hour. He's a very funny man and you can feel free to laugh at him. That's fine. That's customary to laugh at Jerry in this country. Yeah. What is Kramer talking about here? (laughs) I don't know. But he feels like that it's his place to sort of explain our customs to the Japanese tourists. Yeah. No, Kramer is ironically Kramer is a tour guide. And then like the the real Kenny Kramer, that was like his goal to become a tour guide. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. So back in George's apartment, we see that he is all done with the sunshine cleaners. And they say, oh, wait, there's one more thing. And George is all expecting them to pitch him on being in the cult. And he said, oh, you forgot to sign your check. Again, uh, I guess that that's one of the themes of the episodes of signing checks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the, nothing, nothing like a forgot the sign check joke. <laughs> so George is expecting them to pitch him on the cult. So he is. Are you sure there's not anything else? Is there anything? Uh, because he says that I'm so lost. I need answers. Hoping that they end up uh, asking him to be in the cult. And they say, no, that's it. And they leave. Do you think George would have actually joined or he would have tried to like use their logic against them? I think he at least wants to be asked and then have an opportunity to lie to say why he can't be in the cult. Yeah. You know, right. He, he wants. To, yeah, he, he is bored. He wants to go toe to toe with the cult guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> OK, so back at Monk's, uh, we see Jerry and Elaine talking and Jerry has the uh, carpal tunnel syndrome from the whole business with signing all the checks. Keith, why doesn't Jerry get a signature stamp? Doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, I guess it would ruin the episode, but it wasn't like they didn't exist in 1996. It doesn't make any sense why it doesn't happen. And even if he was where it's not like he needs the money. You know, Jerry, in a previous episode, has a drawer full of checks from Nana that are piling up. How many 12 cent checks have to come before Jerry decides to cash them in? Why, why not have Kramer forge his signature? Right. That's not a bad idea. Have Kramer sign them for him and give Kramer a cut of the loot. I also think like he's too neat. Like he wouldn't want hundreds of these checks in a drawer. He might not be able to fit them. So it's easy. Like Nan, it's just one check for a birthday or for, you know, for this is uh, for, for, you know, hundreds of checks. And also like, I don't know, his is like uh, his accountant might get mad at him for not not cashing these checks. Who's going to get mad at him if he gets a thousand of these checks? It's one hundred twenty dollars. Also, I mean, I guess Jerry, the uh, you know, at this point in the eighth season, isn't big enough to have his own like uh, like entertainment lawyer type of thing. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Jerry in real life, obviously, like doesn't even get the checks like his accountant. They go straight to his office and, you know, he deposits them. Yeah. Celebrities don't get checks to their house. That doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think so. So well, <laughs> that Elaine is asking him what's going on with your hand. He says it's the uh, super terrific carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, so Brett comes in that they're looking for Kramer. 
because uh, we want to see the, the Farbman. Yeah, I mean, there's really no payoff to the Farbman stuff, right? Well, I think that the payoff to the Farbman stuff is that they can't get the Japanese tourists out of it. Right. No, I under, not the not the um, the furniture part of the Farbman, really. Yeah. Just like we see Farbman for a second, but like, you know, that I don't know if that fully pays yeah. off that like, it, you know, like I guess it does. I don't know. Just obsessed with Farbman. Okay. And so that Elaine says, oh, you have to see them. They're beautiful. And uh, Jerry says, I'm sure they are. And Brett says, I'd be happy to get you some if that's what you're driving at. And Jerry is like, "Uh, no, that's not actually what I'm saying at all. And we begin this story where Brett just seems to think that Jerry is very jealous and uh, is also somebody who is a charity case. Right. I guess if you haven't like heard of a guy like and it's not like you could hop on Twitter and be like, ooh. Jerry's verified and he has 250,000 followers. Like, he must be a big deal. There's no way to, like, gauge whether Jerry is, like, a good comedian or a struggling comedian, you know? And in fairness, you know, he does live in the same apartment that he lived in, you know, eight years ago when he was probably a more struggling comedian. Right, for sure. Yeah, he doesn't live in a fancy apartment. Uh, It's not dirty, but not there's nothing fancy about him. Yeah, so... Brett ends up saying like, oh, I could get you a proper workstation so you can work on your skits. And Jerry tells him that he doesn't write skits and that's because you don't have the the right desk. I'll fax you my catalog. And Elaine uh, interjects, Brett, uh, Jerry doesn't have a fax machine. Keith, have we come across anything more dated than that Jerry is not a person of means because he does not have a fax machine? No, I mean, (laughs) I mean, to me, that's almost like... uh... You know, the nicest thing you could say about somebody that they don't have a fax machine. <laughs> what, was the, what was the last time you used the fax machine? Uh, I'm sure that there was some sort of, uh, like, official document that had to be faxed somewhere. And I went to, like, a Yeah, Kinko. insurance companies still ask for them. It's always, like, you want to change insurances, you're always using a fax machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it, it has happened, but probably not in the last five years. No, that's good. You want to go at least five years between fax machines. Because you uses. can scan everything. I mean, there's nothing that you, you would want to fax. No, no. I can't think of anything I'd want to fax. Yeah. Okay. So, that they're going to go get something to eat, and uh, Jerry suggests the coffee shop, and Brett says, uh, I think we could do a little better than the coffee shop. <laughs> what a douche. I do think, like, this could have very easily, like, not to be, not to be like the comedy police here, but like the you know elaine could have been like no he you know he like literally was just on the tonight show five times like you're dumb he's actually doing quite well (laughs) yeah and again i kind of like this part of the storyline where it's like you know we're calling out some of the things in the universe that are a little weird like jerry is this uh you know comedian who's doing particularly well and he does still eat all of his meals in like uh some little hole in the wall diner like he really doesn't have a you know he bought a cadillac for his parents but he doesn't spend money on anything it's funny because like the jerry of the show is a very simple frugal man yes and like you think like maybe in season two of this series where jerry is certainly you know well off but not fabulously rich yet by any means um like his idea of like a rich guy is like oh if i was ever rich i'd just be a simple guy living in the same apartment with the same friends and like then he made a billion dollars and he he lives like a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. He has 250 cars, you know, mm-hmm. he, he like his his friends are like Chris Rock and David Letterman, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, he, he probably like good luck to like his buddy he used to go to the, to the Met games with in 1989. 
you know, if you're calling Jerry, like you're not even getting his assistance phone number. Yeah. Rob, do you think like, you know, if and when you made it like Seinfeld big, like if you were a billionaire, would you yes, when remember, not, not would yet. you remember the little people? What what little people like my kids? Well, no, surely you'd have let, plenty of people take care of them at that point. <laughs> but like, would you be like if, you know, if I called you up like 10 years from now, I'd be like, remember we had a, you know, a, a, like a Seinfeld pocket? You'd be like, no, yes, don't put them yes, through. Yes. Um, Keith, this is such an unrealistic uh, scenario. You becoming a billionaire? Yes. Um, that look that, that it would be. I'm not like gonna go off into like some different industry. I know we did say I think early in the series we should get into a rich person's will, or yes. I said that at least. Yes, that that's really like the easiest way to become. I don't know about a billionaire. You'd have to find the right rich per- old person for that. But like, right. get a quick fifty mil that way. Just befriend an old person. Yeah, you don't want too much money that you have to send like security guards with your kids to school and stuff like that. No, no. You know what they say: mo money, mo problems. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so Kramer is with the tourists, and he's looking at like cowboy clothes. And I guess the joke here is that Kramer does not understand the currency conversion. Has have we had any sort of Kramer dealing with foreign currency in eight seasons of Seinfeld. Yeah, I believe we have. I think uh, in the mailbag, someone wrote in and said that like it's uh, in the Tuscany. Uh, he didn't understand the uh, lira to U.S. dollar exchange. Okay. So maybe that's the running thing because he mm-hmm. says, oh, the, you know, 30,000 yen. How does Mr. O know the price of a cowboy hat in Japan? Oh, I have no idea. But I, I mean, maybe they sold them. Maybe Keith, they're really like. How much is a cowboy hat? Oh, geez. I mean, I don't even know how much a cowboy hat costs. Is, yeah, is it, like is a it, nice one. Is it $10? Like, is a nice one $100? I have no idea. Oh, I'm going to say a nice one, like a, a, not like top of the line, but a good cowboy hat. How would you even Manhattan. know it was a good cowboy Manhattan? Hat? Yeah. Well, I'm just saying like a decent brand, not a, at least 150 bucks. Uh, at least 150 yeah. What? So I'm looking at 200 bucks. Okay. This is uh, Manhattan also. Yeah. And I'm sure like what the fancy, like what the, what, what was the guy's name who, who uh, bets? Kramer in uh, uh, in the airport. Yeah, that guy's got a fancy cowboy hat. That's like a thousand bucks. Thousand bucks. Okay. So I'm on uh, HatCountry.com. Uh, one oh. uh, soon to be a sponsor of the show. And so at on Hat Country, I'm sorting by price. The cheapest hats they have are twenty four ninety nine, and then the most expensive cowboy hats uh, you can get then are going to be uh how much do you think what's the most expensive cowboy hat uh 500 bucks so they have one they have the uh el presidente uh which is a fur cowboy hat that's 899 dollars 98 cents and then the stetson wow. dynamite uh fur cowboy hat uh four thousand nine hundred ninety nine ninety eight. so they they get you so you don't really think you're paying yeah. five thousand dollars for a cowboy hat. right it's like, oh this yeah, is yeah. only it's only like forty nine hundred something for this cowboy sure. hat. If you if you tell your assistant your limit is anything under five grand for a cowboy hat, he's just going to buy you that one. That's how they get you. <laughs> That's how they get you. Right. Yeah, Earl Haffler. I should have gotten his name. Uh, the the the, uh, the the cowboy hat wearing uh, gambler in the in the diplomats club. We will see him again in okay. a few weeks. So Elaine is out with the boyfriend, and they're talking about furniture and Carl Farbman, and so Desperado comes on. And Elaine is sort of oblivious to the fact that this is his thing. And she realizes now that when Desperado comes on, Brett can't talk. Yeah. And it just, you know, I mean, I guess it works for some people. But uh, I also was a better song. I would get it more. I would believe it more. It's just such a bad song. Ballad. 
What? Yeah. I, I, like, I, I do wonder, like, at I what do like point... Desperado. Did, I like the song. Did they first... Also, wasn't there a movie called Desperado in the mid-90s? Uh, I think so. That that makes sense. That sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, so w- was this the theme song to that movie? Because it seems like it was like a slow-plotting movie. <laughs> okay, so the movie Desperado... Uh, was stars it Antonio Banderas? Banderas, yes. Oh, um, that's good. That's a good call by me. Yes, and then uh, I don't know if it has the song in it. It's a part of the Once Upon a Time in Mexico trilogy. I don't know if uh, Robert Rodriguez is a big Eagles fan. He might be. All right, here are the stars. Antonio Banderas, Selma Hayek, Steve Buscemi, Cheech from Cheech and Chong, but not Chong, and Quinn Tarantino. Quite the cast. Yes. Uh, The film's score is written and performed by the Los Angeles rock band Los Lobos. Okay, so no no actual Desperado. Two on the nose to have Desperado in Desperado. But I wonder if they wrote... Like, could this have been any one of like twenty songs? Did they like clear it first? Because it's expensive to clear an Eagles song for you know for a television show. Yeah, I think we got to put Johnny DeSilvera on the case. Why did Desperado end up being the song? Did it was there an actual person in Desperado? Was there a song? Was there just a song? And they that was what they could clear. Uh, did the Eagles need to give permission for something? Did it have to be an Eagles song? Lots of questions about Desperado. Yeah, like did they call up the Eagles and the Eagles say like, no, you can't speak to our quarterback coach? Uh, yeah, so Johnny, <laughs> Rob's the only person who got that. Um, Johnny, you're, you're, uh, you got some homework for next week. Okay, yeah, let us know. Okay, so we see uh, George and Jerry now, and they're talking about what happened at the diner with the cleaners, and not a peep. They just cleaned the carpets and left, and they call themselves a cult. Um, yeah, I mean, l- listen, they, they scattered their prospects. If I was a cult leader, I would stay so far away from George. He brings so much drama. They knew. He's not going to buy in. He's not consistent. Like, he, even if he likes it, he's going to leave after two weeks. They're, you know, they're good at sussing out who they want in their cult. And this is a good decision. I wonder if they do research on the person. So they know they're going to George Costanza's Ooh. house. They sort of look into this and say, ah, this guy is nothing but trouble. Yeah. If you've ever been, we need like a cult correspondent. Yes. If you've ever been in a cult or you want to join one for the purposes of this podcast for research, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just like let us know and we'll, be, we'll come bail you out in like six months. Um, but we'll probably forget, just FYI. Yeah. Um, the uh, Let us know. If you know a cult, you know someone who's in the cult, let us know, like, do they scout people out or are they just... I feel like they. it's more of like a like a TV movie thing where they're, like, super, uh, you know, like, savvy, whereas in real life, they're probably just happy to, like, take anybody who wants to join the cult. Yeah, I think they want anybody. You know, anybody who'll listen. Yeah, they're not picky. And they could always kick you out. Right, right. So Kramer ends up coming in. He is in a pretty schnazzy suit. And uh, it's the Japanese tourists have bought Kramer some sort of like a uh, silver <laughs> cowboy outfit. Uh, yeah, he really like took the took these Japanese guys for a ride, especially considering they only had a few, few hundred bucks to begin with. Yeah. And so uh, they're going to go dancing at the Rainbow Room later on that night. That seems dated to me also. Yeah, that's something that's like, uh, you know, a 1980s thing almost. Yeah. And so Jerry calls out that, like, these guys seem like they're throwing a lot of money around. And Kramer says, uh, Jerry, they're Japanese. I mean, the TV that you watch, the sushi that you eat. I mean, that kimono that you wear. Where do you think all that money goes? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, that Kramer tells Jerry that they know you from the super terrific happy hour and you should do a show in Japan. And George says, hey, we still have that pilot. We should try to sell that to the Japanese audience. It is kind of a good idea. Like, I do think all failed pilots, you should just try and pitch them to a different country. 
Yeah. It is just a weird idea to bring out here of why do we return to watching the pilot and trying to sell it to Japan? I do wonder if it's a little bit of like Gamelin Pross, like we said, you know, this is their last episode. It right. It is weird that like we're taking this pilot, which has been dead since the end of season four. Right. And we're in season eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're just like, let's just, you know, trot this out one last time until the finale where they're basically doing it again. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and trying to get some mileage out of it. But, I, you know, again, they like callbacks and maybe a little too much, but it's pretty funny. Yeah. Now, George says that he does a lot of business with Japanese TV. They broadcast a lot of American baseball in a pre-Hideki Matsui world. Keeve, does this make any sense to you? No, because it's it's a post-Hideki Urabu world already, I think. No? <laughs> yeah, the Fat Toad. The Fat Toad. <laughs> yeah, what was that, 95? Yeah, like, it's not, first of all. No, I feel like that Hideki Urabu, I feel like maybe that was a 97. Well, who's the first Japanese baseball player to come over and be decent? Um, yeah, you're right. Arabu's 97. Yes. Yeah. It was after they won a World Series. Yeah. I don't know who. But came. but Japanese uh, people no, have always no, loved it was, baseball. It was Nomo Japanese? You're right. Yeah. No, Nomo. Yes. But that would have been Dodgers. But yeah. but still. Yeah. And he's like 95, I feel like, is the big Nomo year. Yeah, that is the big. Nomo mania <laughs> was running wild. Yeah. And so, Hideki Rabu no longer with us. Very soon. yes. And, and when does uh, Hideki Matsui come? I mean, not until like I don't know. 02? 98. No, Matsui is not ninety eight. Okay, Matsui is. I, I think Matsui is like what was it a one o two? I don't. Know. Uh, Hideki Matsui. Uh, so his first year with the Yankees, I guess, is two thousand three. Well, I remember him. Yeah, oh, earlier, earlier than that. Um, but yeah, so it's not crazy that the Japanese would have been watching the most famous Godzilla. baseball team, the Yankees. Yeah. Okay. So they have the, they hatch this plan. They're going to sell the Jerry pilot to Japanese TV because uh, Kramer says, Jerry, that here you're just another apple. But in Japan, you're an exotic fruit like an orange. Uh, there's a funny moment in this conversation where George is saying how American TV is filled with shows like the pilot. He says that the pilot failed here because here, every time you turn on a TV, all you see are four morons sitting around an apartment whining about their dates. Yeah, it's clearly like a shot at other shows, right? Like Friends or shows like that. Yes, but in Japan, this is still an original idea of the Jerry Show. Yeah, no, they're definitely taking shots at, uh, at, at you know, every other sitcom on TV. <laughs> yeah. All right, so they're with the executives and they're watching the Jerry pilot. And the executive is very confused about all this. And George is like trying to explain the plot in broken English uh, to him. And he's just very, very confused. And they're trying to explain it. They're, they're not amused. No, you know, it, it, yeah, it gets, it goes poorly right off the bat, mostly because the idea is insane. They should have actually like, it wasn't like they're selling the actual pilot. So they really should have, you know, made the script a little easier to comprehend for uh, a foreign audience and just like change some of the things that didn't work. It wasn't like they were literally handing them the old, the old show, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were going to, they were going to have to reshoot it. For Japan, I assume. Uh, By the way, they don't even own the rights to this show. <laughs> yeah. Like NBC would have to be part of this deal. Don't poke the national broadcasting. Yeah. The national broadcasting company and the Nakahama broadcasting company would have to uh, go halfsies on this, I think. So Jerry tries to drink some coffee and he spills some coffee on the floor and uh, his fingers are still twisted from all the check signing. Yeah, I mean, again, that's like a bit like where I, I, it, it, le it does lead like to five different things in the episode. So I guess it works, but it's... Uh, 
don't know. It feels a little forced that his hand, like that all of a sudden he has this hand thing because he's signing the checks. Yeah. Okay. So back at Jerry's apartment, he's back to signing more checks. Why he doesn't give up the checks? I mean, he can't even move his arm, and he's still signing these twelve cent checks. Yeah, I agree. At first, I would never have done this unless the checks were for like twelve thousand dollars each. I mean, I, I think I said this on the podcast, but I met my wife because I had to fill out some form uh, for like college credits um, at the summer camp I was at. The um, that you had to sign like you know sixty times a di- something crazy, and I said I'm not going to do this. Like I'd rather not get the college credits and pay, you know, thousands of dollars extra for the extra three college credits, then sign a thousand times. And I said this to an unsuspecting lady who was like, oh, give it to me. You're an idiot. Uh, and then she signed. And that's how I met my wife. Yeah. Wow. She had um, no idea so, that this was just a, uh, a sneak preview of the rest of her life. Oh, no, I don't even know what our checkbook looks like. She's certainly still signing everything now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, for sure. Had she just not been on that rock when I said that, forget it. Her whole life would be much happier. <laughs> it was the worst day of her life. Uh, in hindsight, yes. <laughs> I think she said it's a it's a three thousand way tie or something. But I guess that's probably it. <laughs> Did she really say that? No, no, she would never <laughs> say something that funny. That was a good line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was gonna give her a compliment. Okay, no. no. So uh, Elaine tells Jerry she got shushed during Desperado. He's out there riding fences. Um, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, like, uh, you know, first of all, the shushing is, is a deal breaker to me on its own. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that Elaine is still with this loser who's shushing her, who's a crazy person. Again, they should have given him, like, some redeeming quality, no? Well, he's wealthy. Yeah. Well, for some people, that's enough. Yeah. And for, we said season seven Elaine was thirsty Elaine. What is season yes. eight Elaine? Desperate. Very, Des- like, it's not, not like, Elaine. not. Yeah, she's really just like, eh, whatever comes around, I'm fine. Yeah, I mean, she said in the Bizarro Jerry that she's getting out the game. She's going to be married. Right, but again, a lot of things that were said in the Bizarro Jerry have been dropped already. Yeah. All right, so Jerry says, what you guys need a song you can share. Is there a song that you feel strongly about? Elaine likes Witchy Woman or Witchy Woman, uh, spelt Witchy Woman. Again, another Eagle song. Does it have to be an Eagle song? I don't think so, because her third suggestion is, is a Santana song, not, not an Eagles Eagle song. song. Yeah, so that, that's what throws me off here. I mean, is it something about the Eagles? I guess, right? It's weird, like, in the, especially in comedy, where there's a lot of, like, rule of three stuff. Mm-hmm. If you either do, like, three separate bands or do, like, three Eagles songs, right? Yeah. What would be your Eagles song? Hotel California? Yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe Desperado as, like, a joke now. Yeah. Let's see. I think maybe I would go with uh, Tequila Sunrise is a good one for like uh, another good depressing song. I think Eagles is just good, like good depressing music. If you want to be like really like depressed, you just put on the playlist of Hotel California, Desperado, uh, Lion Eyes, uh, Heartache Tonight, Tequila Sunrise. I think that that's basically the emotion that's put out there by the Eagles. Yeah, if so listen, if someone like, wants if to sell me on yourself, the Eagles, yeah, make me an Eagles playlist and send it to me, and I'll I'll check it out for next week. But I I don't think you're going to convince me. I think that they're like the most overrated classic rock band. Yeah, well, I think if you if you want to be depressed, I think that that's like a, in a pre Prozac world, the Eagles were your band. But that's crazy because they're not even fa- now. It's like I mean, like you know, Elliot Smith like blows them out of the water, or the Smiths, you know, like. A lot of band, you know, there's a lot of bands that are way more depressing than not in the, 70s. the Eagles. I know. Well, that, the 70s were, you know, it was a lot more uppers and downers, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you're going to, you know, take some quaaludes, put on the Eagles, go to town. 
Uh, I like the Eagles better when they're like throwing batteries at Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, we have Kramer coming in and uh, there was a uh, slight discrepancy in the bill at the Rainbow Room. And, uh, you know, Manhattan can be pricey uh, with uh, 50,000 yen. And it turns out that that's just only a couple hundred bucks. Keith. Yeah. And again, like, yes, it's Kramer's fault. But why are these guys who know that they're on a limited budget? Why'd they listen to Kramer? Uh, that maybe they had no concept of American currency or right. Or the language barrier where Kramer, you know, was lying to them or, or messing things up with the money. Yeah. OK, so Kramer is going to have them stay at his house and they are going to sleep in the chest of drawers in the Farbman. I mean, t- is this too absurd? Is this like race? I don't even know. Like, what is this? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I feel like that the only thing I know about Japanese business hotels is from this episode. I have no idea if this is actually a thing. If, there's, if, def- there's definitely a thing where, like, there's very small spaces. And I know that there's, like, anytime there's an article about, like, oh, this Manhattan guy lives in, like, an eight-square-foot apartment, you know, mm-hmm. apartment that's, like, really a crawl space. And then there'll be like a link like that's nothing because in Japan, that's like, you know, much more common because there's so, you know, Tokyo has more people living in it than I think than any other people, any other city in the world. There's like 40 million people or something in Tokyo. So that it's not, you know, space is such a, a premium there. Yeah. But but still, it's like, I mean, is there they don't even give a reason how they could breathe in the Farbman, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, aren't aren't they all dead in the morning in real life? Like, you can't sleep in a in a in a draw. So it's not a chest of drawers. Uh, so in like I I see a Wikipedia article on a capsule hotel, which is a hotel developed in Japan, which features large number of extremely small rooms, uh, which are uh, cheap basic accommodations. Uh, and it is sort of like uh, the setup of a morgue uh, where there's sort of like uh, two things like uh, like stack like bunk beds where people go in and I guess you have like a wireless Internet connection and you just sleep on the mattress in there. And so I guess they do have them, but they are not set up like a chest of drawers. Right. But I'm saying the, the these three guys, how are they breathing? Uh, Keith, I think you just have to suspend your <laughs> disbelief. Why? Why in episode one forty one? By the way, this is the the beginning of our back forty, right? Yeah, we forty. This. Well, I don't um, think that a, a chest of drawers is like an airtight um, type thing. I mean, you don't know what the back of the dresser looks like. Yeah. Oh, this is a good job for Chester this week. Sleep in a drawer and let us know <laughs> if you wake up in the morning. Right. Like if you had a gerbil or a hamster and you put them in a in, like in a chest of drawers. Like, then it's not like it's going to suffocate if it has food and water. I don't know. I, it just seems like I don't know where the air is coming from if, if it's closed on all that. I, I just don't know how they get out if they have to go to the bathroom or something like that. Yeah, it, it, it what seems like. What if the guy like, on the top has to get out? Well, the guy on the top can get out. Well, I mean, anyone who can get out, like he could just get out and then he just has to hop down, right? Well, the problem is it's like, OK, what if the guy on the bottom and in the middle gets out first and then the guy on the top goes to get out and he opens the drawer and then the whole chest of drawers falls over? Does it fall over, though? I think the bigger issue would be the top and middle needing to get at the same time, because the if the middle guy get out, the top guy would would not would not be able to move. Right. The bottom guy, I mean, right. if the middle guy gets out to go to the bathroom, then the bottom guy oh, so is the stuck. Drawer, cause the drawer is open. Right. Unless unless he gets out and then closes the drawer like a gentleman. Yeah, we don't know how the farbman necessarily works. And I don't know if sometimes there's drawers where like if they're all open, like I don't know if you have this, too. It's like then, it, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you can't open all three at once because they like sort of like screw with the other drawer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so Kramer's putting everybody to bed, and we see them. Uh, good night, uh, Japanese tourists. Yeah, I mean, I just feel so bad for them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. 
So then it's the morning and Jerry wakes up and Kramer is getting uh, bowls of Rice Krispies for all of the Japanese tourists. And uh, Jerry is uh, leaving the house uh, in the morning. Uh, Then we end up seeing Elaine and Brett in their car, a Ferrari, Keith. How do you like that? Yeah, so I guess he is rich. This really lends credence to your your, uh, theory that he's wealthy. Yeah. And so Elaine says, uh, hey, uh, you know, we need our song, Witchy Woman. Uh, And he's like, no, that's okay for you. I already have a song. And Elaine says, well, why don't we share Desperado? And uh, he says, no, that's my song. Yeah, not really not a not a sharing type of guy. Not Not a a sharing type of guy. He's kind of a witchy from. man, if you ask me. <laughs> okay. So now it's raining and Jerry is, you know, off to the bank again. And now it's starting to rain and everything is uh, getting wet. Jerry needs an umbrella. So he finds the one umbrella salesman in Manhattan and says, hey, uh, can you hook me up? And of course, now here is uh, the original article. The first man who invented the twirl, it's Teddy. Yeah, and it's such a shame that Jerry can't get a uh, an, um, right, an umbrella in Manhattan because really oh, the best business idea I could think of in the Seinfeld world would be like opening up, you know, a, a second umbrella shop in the city. Mm-hmm. So I feel like these guys right now have, have a monopoly. Yeah, that'd be good. And Teddy says, no way. You bailed on us, Jerry Seinfeld. Where were you during Tropical Storm, Renee? Which I think is a made-up storm. Uh, where were you during uh, the big poncho craze of 84? Teddy almost lost his house. Yeah, I do like that they throw in the urban sombrero uh, bit here also. Yeah, so a guy comes by wearing the urban sombrero and they say, see that? That guy is wearing an uh, urban sombrero. Uh, they're taking over. Yeah, I mean, I, it's like a pretty random throwback, but it's funny. Yeah. Would an urban sombrero really like you would not? Would it obviate the need for an umbrella? It sounds insane. Yeah, I don't think it would necessarily work out that way. I feel like that the Urban Sobrero, it's not like it doesn't have like an umbrella top where the water like rolls down. I feel like the water would sit in the top of the sombrero. Yeah, and then it would just be a mess when you took it off. It would pour in your head or something. Yeah. So they want $200 from Jerry for an umbrella. Yeah, I mean, by the way, the Jerry I know might even buy this umbrella for 200 bucks. Right, right. He is so bad with his money. <laughs> so... He's very cheap here in this episode with uh, 12 cent checks and then uh, won't pay $200 for an umbrella. Right. Plus, you'd think he would like just know that he'd break even somehow, like he'd find 200 bucks on the street. You would think so. So back at Yankee Stadium in George's office. okay, uh, Kramer comes in with the tourists that I think that they thought they were going to run the bases, uh, but it's raining. They can't do that. The tarp is on the field. Didn't stop Robin Ventura. That's right. Yeah. That's or my grandpa sitting in the stands. 71 year old grandpa. (laughs) What? You ran on the field too? What? No, with the Grand Slam when it was pouring rain. Oh no! I'm, I'm saying about, we were still there. What, what are you talking I, about? I'm talking about when Robin. Oh, Ventura, I thought you. Oh, I thought you meant when he hit the Grand Slam single because that was pouring rain. Also, yes, yes. But no. you're talking about when he slid on the tarp. Yes, right. Yeah, when he yeah, dressed yeah, like Mike Piazza at Yankee Stadium right. during a rain delay. Yes. But George says, "Well, I do have a tape of the Jerry pilot." Um. Re- yeah. No greater entertainment. It's funny. He like literally has to babysit these people. Did they not have a plan? Like, what was their, like, did they have a tour guide? I wonder what, what their, like, best case scenario was well, on this trip. Their best case scenario was to not spend all their money on buying stuff for Kramer. And I think they had, like, plans. And then right. Kramer used up all their money. So now they have nothing. Yeah, I guess, I guess, whatever. Right. I, even if they had a tour guide, I guess they can't pay him anymore or something. Right. I mean, why Kramer can't order a pizza for these guys is never explained. 
Right, right. I mean, I know what or why Kramer can't get Jerry to order a pizza for them. Right, more like it, but yeah, right. Uh, but they're very hungry. Uh, these uh, Japanese tourists. So uh, Kramer has to go out and get something for them to eat. Uh, I like that when he like walks off in the Yankee Stadium office, like he's like, "Hey, peanuts!" <laughs> like uh, like this vendors walking around. Uh, <laughs> Wilhelm comes over. And uh, George called the carpet cleaners. They're here. They're in Wilhelm's office. Um, yeah, so George called them, but that means they clean the entire Yankees office. Like, George can just, like, get a cleaners for the office, and then they're, like, they're not, it's not even just for his office, right? They're, they're cl- are they cleaning the whole stadium? I wonder how this works. It's a good question. And does George call them because he's like, uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, I have an uh, amazing deal that these guys will come in and clean our whole offices for $25. And then George Steinbrenner is like, uh, Costanza, I like what you're thinking. Uh, and so is he doing it for that purpose or does he just want to test to see if they'll ask Wilhelm to be in the cult? Um, I think I'm not. It's a good question. I guess we'll never know. OK. And they haven't said anything to a Wilhelm yet. Uh, what kind of snobby stuck up cult is this? So, all right. Jerry's on the street. He is soaking wet. Here comes Brett in his Ferrari. Uh, we find out that he also has uh, Farbman is in the car. Yeah, Carl Farman, who I believe is the is the show's director of transportation. Yes, yes. I think that I do like when they give like a behind the scenes person a, a gig on the show. I, that's nice. Yes. And so then uh, he Jerry says he doesn't have an umbrella because he doesn't have enough money. And Brett is just like buying into the narrative that Jerry is broke and he sees all of the checks in his hand for 12 cents and they're all ruined. And so uh, Brett says, um, look, he would give him a ride if he didn't have Carl Farman with him. Yeah, I do hate when, you, you know, you try and get the ride from the person with the two seater. Always tough. <laughs> it's tough. It always happened when I was a kid. It's like, ah, sorry, can I go with you? No, sorry. My dad's coming in the Corvette. Yes. Uh, do you think that uh, Farbman and Brett are doing their own version of uh, douches and cars getting coffee? Ooh, that's not bad. They're going to go out and do like a whole episode. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's a good mad TV sketch. Yeah. So back at Jerry's apartment, uh, Jerry is uh, now drying all of the 12 cents. Like, at, at what point does Jerry just throw these in the garbage? Yeah, I think many scenes ago, knowing the Jerry we know. Okay. Uh, Elaine claims... Brett said he ran into him and ran away as if he was the boogity man. There's no way anyone could think it's the boogity man. The bye-bye man. Well, maybe it's a regional thing. Yeah. Where, where like, uh, you know, they said boogity man in Baltimore. Yeah. Because that happens sometimes where everyone says, like, uh, one thing, and then you realize, like, oh, it's, re- you know, in the Midwest, they say, you know, something totally different and wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so Elaine says that uh, he did not bite on witchy woman. He won't share Desperado. Uh, what do you think of Oye Como Va? And I don't know that. I know it's a Santana song, but I don't know that song. Can you sing it for me? Oye Como Va. Okay, yeah. So I actually know. I do know that. I sort of know that just from what you're saying. Right. And that so, sounds like it's your karaoke. Kari- like it's your karaoke. Song. Yeah, that's my go to. Oye Como Va. Right. At the fin- at the Seinfeld finale, we'll do karaoke night before. We'll sing only songs mentioned in Seinfeld. <laughs> Perfect. <Okay. laughs> And I'll dance like Elaine. Uh, well, everyone's going to dance like Elaine, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So you'll do it. You'll do it unintentionally. Unintentionally. All right. So George comes in and he has some great news that Kramer's Japanese tourist friends loved the Jerry pilot. Right. I, yeah. I mean, it's always if like three people from a country of like 100 million like something you do, you're basically golden. Right. And these guys may have the Stockholm syndrome also. Yeah. Oh, I clearly. I mean, they. At this point, they like uh, they probably do not like Kramer. And 
I mean, they're 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 shockingly fine with being put up in the drawers. So maybe who knows what their feelings are pre getting stuck in the drawers? Yeah. We'll never know. So they're very eager to like please their captors. Yes. So I mean, that is that is uh, isn't Stockholm syndrome like is that who's that Patty Hearst? Is it still yeah. Patty Hearst? Yeah. And there's other there's other Patty Hearst references I think in this episode because when Wilhelm is about to say that his name is Tanya or he says his name is Tanya I think that's a Patty Hearst thing oh my god so I think we're really tying together one of the great mysteries of Seinfeld (laughs) which is what why does Wilhelm say his name is Tanya yeah well no someone emailed in I think Johnny knew that but but I you know I think uh like maybe there's a whole Patty Hearst thing that I don't know much enough about Patty Hearst to realize but maybe the whole episode has Patty Hearst undertones perhaps so one of my favorite jokes in this is that George says uh, that he's taking the pilot back to NBC. Uh, and Jerry says, NBC? Yes, the Nakahama Broadcast Corporation. Yeah, one of the best jokes of the episode. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And we have our own market research that Japanese people love this show, uh, you know, l- let alone that Japanese executives watched the show and didn't get it. But we found three Japanese people who like it, so we should be on TV. Yeah, I think that's it. Sold. Yes. Okay. Right. They couldn't even find they couldn't even find American market. You know. Uh, you know a uh, what's it called when you put the people in the room and you and they you make them watch the show. Uh, like a test. Yeah. Like a test audience. What's that? Yeah. There's focus a better group. word for it than test audience. Focus group. Yeah. They couldn't even find a focus group that liked the actual Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. But they like they found you know Japanese people who like the fake Seinfeld show. The show within a show. There's a couple of really funny lines here as well. So Jerry says to the to George like, "Hey George, if they make an offer, whatever it is, just take it." Uh, going back to season four when George tries to negotiate for uh, Ted Danson money. Yeah, and again, it doesn't come up in the next scene because obviously they don't make an offer. So I do like that they're just main callbacks for the sake of callbacks. And then George says to Jerry, "What did you think of uh, Miss Yoshimura?" Who? The network executive. You think she liked me? Uh, which is, again, uh, another really fun callback to George and Susan's relationship. Yeah, fantastic callback. So, Yo- Miss Yoshimura in that scene looks like she's six foot four also. Oh. She looks enormous. Maybe just the, 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 like, the man exec is really short, but she's like towering over him. Yeah. Okay. So George ends up going across the hall into Kramer's apartment. Kramer is hanging out in the hot tub with all of the Japanese tourists and uh, they're hanging out, they're smoking cigars. And uh, when did uh, the hot tub, when did we last see the hot tub in Kramer's apartment? In the hot tub? Yeah. Okay. So what was that? Season seven? Yeah. Season seven. Yeah. And I thought the heat pump broke, but I guess everything is back to normal. Yeah. You just give him a season. He'll, he'll get the heat pump. <laughs> get it back on. All right. So George needs the Japanese tourists to come early in the morning <laughs> and uh, that the tourists are saying, uh, come on in, get in, George, uh, that he says, no, big day tomorrow. Yeah, I do. And I like that they splash him and you actually see him getting wet as he's leaving. Yeah. All right. So Jerry is now uh, re-signing all of the checks and uh, he's got the uh, the last one, but he's uh, still very much in pain. You got the old carpal tunnels going or something. Got the carpal tunnel going. Okay. All right. So George is ready to go into his meeting at NBC, the Nakahama Broadcast Corporation, and he can't find anybody. And Kramer comes up and uh, says that the boys wanted to sleep in. Yeah, and the whole thing is like confusing here, right? It's it's like what they're saying. It's just a mess. Like, I feel like they wanted them for that scene. And then there's almost like more to it than we're seeing. It's bizarre. 
You think production wanted them there and they couldn't get the? I don't actors? know. It's like why? Why I don't? Not really. I just I, like I. I don't know. I, the scene is like almost shoehorned in after. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird that Kramer is there and he's saying that he's like trading in their airline tickets. I don't know why he's at the t- TV offices. Uh, that is right. weird. But I do love it anytime we get to see George calling up Jerry on the phone and Jerry is soaking his hand and George calls up. He's like, Jerry, Jerry, get these tourists up, get them down here. We got to sell the focus group. Uh, and Jerry typically does. Who is this? Yeah. Uh, but here he says, Uncle Leo. Because it is a Leo-ish message. It's such an insane message that George starts with. Yeah, but that's always what he does when he calls up. And then it's always like cuts back to George, like just hammering the phone. <laughs> uh, he's getting very mad. George is getting frustrated. Uh, George is getting angry. George is getting angry. Okay. All right. So Jerry goes in to try to get the chest of drawers open. He cannot. Mr. O is saying, Jerry, please open the drawer. Uh, and Jerry says he can't do it. And uh, that they, they think that, okay, it's very funny, uh, but no joking, please. Uh, just get us out of here. I don't know why they don't believe him that he can't do it. Like, I understand the hand thing. Like, okay, they don't know it. But it's not the craziest thing in the world that the draw is stuck. Yeah. Right? Well, I think they think maybe he's not letting them out. Yeah, I understand. But, like, I'm not sure why they, like, do they need more motivation to think that? Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Elaine and Brett the douche uh, walk up and uh, Brett has an umbrella that he was going to give to Jerry. And uh, he's saying, look, I know that he must be jealous. I gave Kramer the Farbman dresser. And no, he's not jealous, Elaine says. And they go in and uh, we see Jerry uh, with an axe breaking apart the chest of drawers. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I mean, do you buy that this would be the course of action for Jerry to take plan B axe. is to go straight to the ax. I mean, it's a rush. Where did the ax come from, Keith? I mean, you don't have an ax lying around your house. Why does Kramer have an ax? Does he have a wood burning fireplace? I mean, he probably traded like, uh, you know, a pair of shoes to Lomez for an ax. Yeah, the ax. They lose me with the ax. What if it was just like a big hammer or something? Same idea. A crowbar. Even I could I could see that more. Uh, but just an an ax. I hear you, but I mean, is that the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened? Like, Jerry couldn't find an umbrella on the streets of Manhattan in the pouring rain. Okay, but if you're going to have an axe in Kramer's apartment, then introduce an axe into the story somehow. Right, okay, that's, I hear you, I hear you. Maybe the axe should have been there. Like, uh, it's a Farbman axe. <laughs> right, it's a Farbman axe that is, you know, was there an axe in the Peterman catalog? Did one of the tourists buy an axe? Oh, what if the carpet? I mean, I know the carpet cleaners didn't clean Jerry's place. But what if the carpet cleaners left the axe there? Well, why do they need an axe? I don't know. That's For like part of stuff? the mystery of. Yeah, it's like that's what exactly what the line in the episode is like. That's mm-hmm. so mysterious. They left an axe in your apartment. Is that a threat? Is it a present? Is it an accident? Why do they have an axe? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Kramer could just say like, oh, I need an axe, you know, and just at least have it like as sort of like a talking point in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it could come up. Didn't bother me. But now that you say it, it's bothering me. All right. And so uh, Brett's yelling, uh, not the Farbman. And, uh, you know, Elaine tries to uh, stop Brett. Uh, Meanwhile, we go back to the Japanese TV office and uh, Mr. O is uh, telling the executive that Jerry Seinfeld is a dangerous lunatic. Uh, he came at us with an axe. Yeah, um, I do like the speak Japanese so the guy won't, you know, won't hear me. Yeah, um, type thing. But they assume that they're just like complimenting them. Uh, yeah. So I don't know why they have this axe situation. 
and then still agree to come to the meeting. I guess that it's real like Stockholm syndrome. That, that now they're like they're on friendly ground. They see another Japanese person. They can sort of let them know. Yes, yeah, like get gone. me to the embassy or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, and they want to eat the oranges that are on the table because apparently, according to George, oranges are hard to come by in Japan. Uh, we have no evidence about that. No, I think it's pretty clear he's wrong about that. Right? They're just they're just hungry. Mm-hmm. But are oranges actually hard to come by in Japan? I don't think so. And I'm pretty sure not. Okay. All right. And so uh, now here comes the sunshine carpet cleaners to clean up the coffee that Jerry Seinfeld spilled on the carpet. And here's Mr. Wilhelm. Yeah, he's really, uh, you know, he's joined the team very quickly. This is like yesterday that uh, he was working for the Yankees. Yeah. And so he says that, hey, he's here to clean the carpets. Most of the world is carpeted. And one day we will do the cleaning. And uh, George says, uh, him, what does he have that I don't have? Mr. Wilhelm, you've been abducted. Listen to me. And he says, Wilhelm, my name is Tanya. Yeah. A weird joke. Even if it's even if it's a Patty Hearst joke or something, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Uh, I, I mean, I yeah. didn't know the Patty Hearst story. And I still think it's funny that Mr. Wilhelm says his name is Tanya. Uh, but then the executives here say to one another that, boy, with these guys, uh, how did they ever win the World Series? Yeah, and I think the the joke is that they film two different ways because this episode doesn't air until what is it, November seventh? Yes. Meaning they wrote it, you know, they wrote it far earlier, so they had two, you know, they filmed it far earlier, so they had a, you know, I know why the Yankees lost the World Series, and I know, you know, I don't know how they won with them. Yeah, the, in uh, the versions. notes about nothing, they called it that uh, with these idiots, it's you know, no wonder they can't win a pennant. I think that's what they said in the notes about. Nothing. Okay. So, I don't yeah. Know. So you know, they, yeah, they may have even filmed this during the ALCS. Okay. <laughs> so who knows? Okay. Uh, I don't know what they would have done if they got to the World Series and lost to the Braves. Maybe they, they should have filmed three. You're right. That was a bad job by them. Yes, yes. It's no wonder that the Braves uh, are the uh, team of the 90s. Um, I mean, are they? Well, in, in that They universe. would have been had they won that series. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They, really, they really blew it. They had all the, you know, you look at it back at it now, and they won World Series with all those pitchers. They're never going to have that again. They should, they should just really, they have a new stadium. They should really just have been like contracted. They stink. Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, their fans are never going to come back because I they were like good for like twenty Keith. years. No, I'm serious. The Braves should be contracted. <laughs> come on. I mean, I like having them in division. They stink, and they're in our division. They're, right? they're, yeah, they stink against everybody except the Mets. Right. They're good. I, they were us. probably were they over five hundred against the Mets last year. I don't even want to think about it. But <laughs> uh, but you know, they, well, they get Chipper Jones in the Hall of Fame next year. Then I think that's it. They're out of they're out of uh, the <laughs> okay. baseball business. All right. Uh, so then we have a one other disturbing scene at the end of this episode where okay, um, so here's Brett and they're trying to make him feel better. And uh, Jerry says, "I didn't mean to hit you in the head with the handle of the axe." And um, he can't remember that the dresser was a farbman and then we say okay calm down brett and they start singing the song and then he hits his head on the table i mean this is just ridiculous <laughs> and so then the ambulance comes and he's in the emergency room and uh the doctor is trying to work on him it's george wallace and uh then witchy woman comes on and he just like zones george out wallace of twitter yes yes and so, uh, yeah, and it's confusing what happens to Brett. He does not testify at the final court case. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Why doesn't he testify? What? It, but then if he was dead, it's a murder on, you know, under their belt, te- you know, or Jerry's. Shouldn't like his like next of kin testify at the fu- at the funeral uh, at the trial? So. You know, it like what? But maybe he's like so unlikable that nobody remembers him. 
Nobody. from not such a memorable episode. Yeah. All right, keep. And this was not a super memorable episode uh, for me. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. I mean, there were some things that I really uh, did not recall, and other things, uh, you know, were more, more more notable. But I think the whole carpet cleaning storyline, I completely forgot about. Yeah, season eight is great, but this may be the weakest of the bunch so far. Let's see. Yeah. Also, uh, New York Mets uh, versus the Atlanta Braves uh, were nine and ten versus the Braves in 2016. Yeah. Another reason to contract the Braves. <laughs> Too good. And they have Bartolo Colon and R.A. Dickey now. Yeah, well, good luck with those, with those, you know, combined 100-year-old pitches. <laughs> Not even a joke. Okay, so, uh, Keith, let's just grade out this episode, and then we'll get into uh, the mailbag. And so, uh, Jerry's storyline with the checks. Um, I'll give it a B. I mean, it's not bad. There's nothing terrible in it, but I don't, you know, it just, like, there's no real home run punchline or payoff to it. Yeah, um, I would say I probably would give it a C minus. I'm, I'm going to be pretty hard on this. Wow. And you never give that C minuses. You're like the teacher that they call like the, the A train. You give yeah, a lot of good look, grades. I, I feel like that there's some redeeming value to uh, almost all of these storylines. But I think that this one in particular, uh, Jerry with the checks, it doesn't even make sense. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. There's yeah, not a lot maybe of laughs, I, may- and it doesn't make sense. Yeah, but like my uh, my ninth and 10th grade math teacher, once I give you a grade, I can't change it, okay. whether it's. For better or worse, so right. stuck it to be. What about George and uh, the Sunshine Cleaners? Yeah, that's pretty funny. It doesn't not a ton of scenes about it. I'll give it an A minus. Pretty good. Yeah, no, I think that that's a pretty fair uh, grade as well. I might even give it a, an A all around. Uh, I think it's a of a, a fun idea, and you know George is good uh, all the way around. Then what about Kramer with the Japanese tourists? Uh, again, I really don't like the whole them sleeping in the drawer thing. I don't know why it makes me uncomfortable, but it's just weird. Yeah. But may, I'm sure when I 14 year old me thought it was hilarious. So I'll, I'll give it a B. Yeah. And I would give it a B as well. It's funny. It's just that it, it's probably an A if we see them like three times. Uh, it's a B because we see them uh, too much. And then uh, Elaine with uh, Brett Desperado. I mean, I hate Brett. I hate the ending. I'm giving this a D. Yeah, I'll give it a D as well. It's just, uh, you know, I, I like the song Desperado. And that's, that's the only thing I like about this. Yeah. One of my least favorite storylines uh, in many, many seasons. Okay. All right, Keeve. So this is interesting in terms of your episode ranking. I think we're probably going to go low and probably lower than we've gone in a while. I'll say you have this at 125. Oh, my gosh. Wow. 124. Wow. Okay. You're, you're actually really good. You rarely are off by more than like 12. Okay. Although you do have a whole two hours of, of feeling out my opinion. On yeah, it. so I sort of like know, but I, I, I can know by uh, your opinion on stuff of uh, where we are in terms of your rankings. All right. <laughs> are you going to publish the whole rankings at the end? I feel like that, that would get some traction. Yeah, sure. I don't, I don't have like anything written about them. I actually had an idea recently where I was like, I should write 180 essays about the 180 Seinfeld episodes, or maybe like farm some out to be, you know, write most of them. But, but, uh, I get like fits of inspiration for like a day. And then I sort of like get a month of like, I'd rather just like eat some chips and watch, you know, another episode of like some stupid TV show. That could be a coffee table book. Yeah, I know. I think it's like a fun, I think that, you know, it could be a fun book, but, uh, what am I going to (laughs) do? Yeah. Uh, it could be a coffee table book and it could also be a coffee table. I mean, that would be the first person to come up with that. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, 180, you know, different essays. That would be a big book. So yeah, it'd be bigger than most books. Okay. So then, uh, of course, Keeve, uh, we get our email Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. You can also subscribe to the Seinfeld post show recap, postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Here we are in 2017, the year in which the Seinfeld post show recap 
comes down. Comes down. What does that mean? Is like I can take it down. We we where we end up. We like uh you know if we get to the home base. Like, but when it comes, like you say, comes down as if like, is are you taking well, we'll it off keep, the internet? No, we'll keep it on the internet. But oh, guess, should it be behind, should it be behind the paywall? Yeah, then, okay, then it, it was free <laughs> the first time. Now on Howl, yeah, yeah, that never works. I think like Comedy Bang Bang just went behind the paywall this week on Howl. Yeah, um, we will we will pay Howl to put our podcast behind a paywall. People are like, ooh, this is behind a paywall it must be good. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know what we're going to do. We'll put out the detail. By the way, Howl, is it like, are you going to cut it if I say Howl's not going to exist in two years? Uh, I, won't, I won't cut it. It's, it's your opinion. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Yeah. I don't know if they're like a sponsor or something. No, they're not. All right, Keeve. Uh, let's go into the mailbag. And then uh, let's start off with uh, Dan, the benefactor, who says, uh, when you guys do the podcast the second time around, in addition to picking the MVP of the episode, you should pick the MVP of the original podcast. It's such a good idea. Dan is really on a roll. He's on a roll. Okay, so who's the MVP in this episode? Oh, that's a good question. I, I, I feel like we need... Or, or are we waiting completely to the second time around? Well, so I think at this point, it's too late in the run. Oh, 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 I thought you meant the MVP of the podcast. The MVP of the episode is, I guess, George? It's a tough one, right? Yeah, I'll give it to George. I'll give it to George, but it's a weak MVP. It's not like, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like a smaller MVP trophy. But who's the MVP of this podcast, this episode? Uh, you know, we'd have to leave that to the listeners. Yeah. We would have to fight every week. I don't, I don't know how that would work. <laughs> okay. He also says, uh, why are the Japanese tourists so hungry? They're staying across the hall from Jerry's apartment, which is always stocked with food. I can't imagine that Jerry would stop Kramer from giving them his food, uh, given that Jerry knows Kramer blew all their money. He's giving them their Rice Krispies. Yeah. Why are they so hungry? He's right. They could always access Jerry's food. I mean, I know they have no money, but like Kramer's not evil. If they say we're hungry, he'd probably give them something to eat. You would think so, you know, that George would at least like uh, buy some sandwiches or at least expense them uh, when they're coming to visit Yang. Maybe he wouldn't, but you would think that they would, they could get a calzone pretty easily. Yeah, I'm not sure why they're always so hungry. Maybe that was cut out of the episode or something. OK, uh, where do you want to go next, Keith? Um, Jeff P says he can't remember the last time he endorsed a check. Do you guys endorse checks for deposit? Is that still even a thing? It's a thing. I have to ask you because I don't know. Yeah, that's a thing. I mean, if uh, for... You know, business stuff, I do have a stamp, but, you know, for personal checks, uh, you know, I will uh, sign checks. Look at this fancy guy with a stamp. I have a stamp. That's right. Okay. Uh, Matt in Massachusetts has a question. Uh, before encouraging the tourists to go on a spending spree, shouldn't Kramer realize he has no knowledge of exchange rates? No, uh, that is not something that uh, he thinks about, right? No, uh, Kramer's clueless about that. But a good callback to the Lira thing, Matt, Massachusetts. That's a good catch by you. Matt also wants to know, I realize that Wilhelm won't appear in another episode for a few months, but how do you think that he was able to get freed from the sunshine carpet cleaners cult? Was it as simple as his wife getting him to take his medication? Or do you think that Steinbrenner got involved? Um, Remember, he has like a traumatic brain injury of some kind at this point, Wilhelm, right? Right. He's not in his right mind. I mean, he loved George's bit last week with the... With the toothpaste, right? Yes. So, you know, Wilhelm is, uh, yeah, he's like the cops are looking for him right now. His wife is on the trail. Yeah. So I think that maybe he just had like one of his uh, psychotic episodes. Yeah. An episode. That's what they used to call it. Then, then it's an episode. I feel like now they probably have a more clinical name. For more it. clinical name. But yeah. So he had like some sort of uh, uh, some sort of an issue. Uh, I probably shouldn't even call it a psychotic episode. And then uh, he needed to get some medical care and they got him back to his family. Mm -hmm. This is a pretty psychotic episode. I mean, you got the guys (laughs) in the draw. Yes. Yes. It's pretty psychotic. All right. right. And what about uh, Amir? Amir. So he says uh, he agrees with me. He says we can safely assume Brett dies at the end of this episode, right? We already hear him flatlining and it's fairly early into Witchy Woman. 
Once they killed off Susan, apparently the show has carte blanche to kill off any characters without anyone really caring. Man, the show turned dark pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the evidence is compelling. That wasn't my takeaway when I watched it, but you guys make good points. Yeah, Amir also says that there's tons of oranges in Japan. They have a proliferation of Mandarin oranges. Oh. He also, say, he also says that George's plot line... Do they come from Mandarin China? Yeah, I guess they're right there. They're close enough. It's, like, easy to uh, to find, but it's just a totally bogus thing. Uh, he thinks that the plot, cult plot line for George is out of character, that George goes, you know, to crazy lengths for things, but only for money women or his reputation what's his what's his motivation to get accepted to the cult i don't believe you'd spend money on getting his carpets clean just to get recruited into a cult he's not interested in it's not a bad it's not a bad point yeah i could see him where you know george is uh i have to probably do a deep dive and think about the storylines of like hey what's wrong with me why not me why aren't i being asked to be a part of this so i i don't think it's too out of character for george all right you want to play a very quick game yes Okay, Amir wrote in a game. He says, while the super terrific happy hour seems like a ridiculous title for a Japanese TV show, it's actually fairly in line with a lot of the craziness featured on Japanese TV. He gave us, he's going to give us a multiple choice test. There's four Japanese shows. One is fake, three are real. Rob, you have to spot the fake. Okay. Do you know which one's fake? Did no, you see I, the email? I, I stopped scrolling. Okay, good. Down. I stopped. Good. Oh, very nice. Okay, show one. Candy or not candy? Celebrities must guess whether an object such as a shoe or a telephone is made from candy or not, they then take a bite to find out if they were right. <laughs> so we got candy or not candy. Show okay. B. Okay. I feel like I'm Kurt, Kurt Clark here. All right. Catch a, catch a cat. Contestants try catching cats on a variety of slippery surfaces, such as newly waxed floors, ice skating rinks, or a room full of banana peels. Mm-hmm. By the way, these sound funny, but I feel like it, this is a one episode and done thing, right? Mm, like, is this like, is, is catch a cat like there's 60 minutes? It's been on for like 50 years on Sunday at seven o'clock. Yes. Um, show three marshmallow rubber band competitors try to catch dangling marshmallows with their mouths while their heads are attached to the wall with rubber bands so we got candy or not candy catch a cat marshmallow rubber band and the last one head and butt trivia face off a trivia game where the loser gets a face full of the winner's butt i'll go with uh catch a cat yeah that is the fake one catch <laughs> a cat which is, makes sense because in america that's the only one that for sure would never make air right yeah you're not like grabbing a cat and then nobody's letting cats get grabbed like that right Right. I like candy or not candy. I think that's like a funny bit for like Fallon or Kimmel. Yeah. Um, the marshmallows doesn't do anything for me in the head and butt face trivia. Okay. That's okay. That's like a CW show. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, I just went with the one that was uh, the uh, most mundane. Yeah. Or you cheated. I'm not sure. I didn't you. cheat. Uh, why, I know. Why would I cheat on uh, the uh, Amir Seinfeld quiz? Listen, because it was there. Because it was there. That's right. I, I was like, I'm, I'm so petty. I have to, that I can't risk. Uh, looking foolish on Amir's quiz game. <laughs> Listen, it's we're 141 episodes in. Yeah. No. Uh, all right, Keeve. Uh, well, yeah. great job once again. Uh, that we did a lot with an episode that uh, we both admittedly uh, did not love. But uh, what's coming up next week? Next week we have an episode a lot of people think is a classic: the Chicken Roaster. Okay, I'm very excited to talk about that. Uh, I do like it when Kramer and Jerry <laughs> switch apartments. That's very fun. So yes. uh, we will talk about that next week. What's the hashtag for this week? What about accident? Accident. Okay. Yes. Uh, AXE. No, I didn't like the accident. You didn't like the joke or you didn't like the what? No, the hashtag is fine. Um, but uh, I didn't like the axe being in the episode. Yeah. I do like the name Timmy Padillac, but I don't know if that that's not our joke. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's go with the accident. And of course, uh, Keeve, the NFL playoffs are here. The 32 fans podcast is in full gear. People are saying, yeah, what are people the saying? The definitive source 
for NFL playoff coverage. Yes, I'd say of all NFL podcasts done by two Orthodox Jews who hate each other, we are ranked number one. Um, yeah, we have a lot of guests this week. I don't know. I'm assuming they were good. I, uh, you know, I wasn't on for those episodes for that part of the episode. Chester interviews the guests himself, but, uh, yeah, we got, we're, we're full blown NFL playoff coverage. Why? What fans. guests did you guys have? We had like fans of, of the teams to okay. preview the playoff matchups, but I wasn't on. It was okay. late at night. All right. Um, well, that, uh, the, look, that's not why I tune into that podcast to hear, uh, to hear guests. No, me neither. That's why, that's why I don't, I don't come around with the guests there. It's also funny. It's like a lot of times it's my friends that Chester's like randomly yes. calling. <laughs> I tune in because I want to hear you guys fighting about stuff. Yeah, that's the beginning usually. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, good stuff. Uh, thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre for the editing of the Seinfeld Poster recap. And of course, uh, thanks, Mike Moore, for the recap. We'll be back next week. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye.